0: Welcome to the Growth League podcast, where we interview business owners who have experienced quantum leap growth in their business. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into our guests' firsthand experience about what it was like 90 days before and 90 days after that point when their business started experiencing massive growth. So I am here with my friend and guest, Mr. Chris Nealon. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate yeah, my it. My pleasure. So for those of you that don't know uh, Chris or, or haven't heard about Chris before, he is, uh, he's an interesting guy, a man of conviction, <laughs> and I'll explain what I mean. But I like that. I'll take that. Uh, a, a quick background on, on Chris. He was uh, in a prior life as the marketing manager for John Deere and Home Depot, right? John Deere first and then Home Depot, and then uh, and then you were CEO of, of your agency at the time, um, Watermark, and... Uh, Co-founded uh, the cult, the, the gathering of cult brands, uh, the yes. cult agency, and and Comuno. Um, tell us a little bit about uh,
1: what's keeping you so busy right now. What's your main focus? Well, my main focus, I think, in the like the real immediate term here is. Um, you know the gathering is this remarkable thing, but it's called the gathering, <laughs> and that's a hard thing to do in a socially <laughs> distanced world with government restrictions and trying to look into our crystal ball uh, to predict not just practical things like vaccines, but corporate policies and and travel and expense budgets and when people are going to feel comfortable getting back together again. So we're we're really committed. To making sure that we can do something uh but uh, it's going to be a combination of physically gathering with smaller numbers and then virtually doing something but i don't know about you but i think most of the virtual conferences that were sort of these last minute pivots uh, have sucked you yeah. know and so uh, i think ted has always done it well i think whether you are one of the lucky people in the auditorium or you go to youtube and watch a ted talk i think that's just a it feels different than eavesdropping in a Zoom meeting. There's yeah. a production quality there. There's multiple cameras. There's a stage. And so we've been really busy uh, the past couple of weeks trying to figure out what we're going to announce. We know the, the event has already moved from February to April. Right. And we made that decision in the summertime. And yeah. that felt, you know, really conservative. Yeah. <laughs> but we would never have guessed yeah. that, uh, you know, another wave was going to be hitting us in the early spring. So,
0: yeah, that's kind of top of mind right mm-hmm. now. I mean, Banff in the spring as compared to Banff in
1: the... Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways we've always been tempted, not just Banff, but, I mean, the gathering this year will also, we're going to experiment with some other U.S. locations as well. We've always aspired. I mean, TED is really at the crown jewel. TED is an event, but TED has content that's relevant 365 days a year. Mm. So uh, we've been looking into, uh, we have a, a podcast that will be, uh, announced we have um, what we call inner sanctums which is more uh, regular uh, doses of content mm-hmm. uh, the three-day event in Banff will always be the crown jewel yeah. but we want to be able to allow more people access and uh, make it relevant year-round yeah. the reason why I say you're a man of conviction is that uh, and
0: I want everyone listening to go and check out Chris Neland on LinkedIn after this and, and read his I call it a personal manifesto but you you are convicted or on a mission to not allow brands that want to scream their message from the rooftops using, uh, you know, CPM models and and mass media approaches, you're not personally going to allow them to win, and are you? I mean, you you believe in creating brand tribes, communities, loyal followers, and and earning your... your, your awareness through the mouths of others. Can you talk about your personal mission? Yeah,
1: I um, I, I do. I, I, I learned actually, I think, in the gathering year two or three, um, it's it's um, sometimes difficult to know what you're fighting for, but it should be really easy to know what you're fighting against. Right. Uh, and so we defined a villain, and the villainic cult is the reckless overuse of mass media and markdowns. <laughs> sometimes in my own hyperbole or in my own uh, rant I can come across as anti-advertising and I'm not I think that advertising absolutely has a time and a place I just get really I I, my my emotions range between sad to pissed off (laughs) of uh, when I go into businesses that have uh, tremendous potential to be successful and significant and they're wasting discretionary dollars chasing Uh, a a degree of volume where they're just shouting all the time or a form of bribery where they're discounting all the time in ways that devolve the relationship and devolve the brand and when you've seen what good looks like when when you see brands that can actually charge premium price points and do very little advertising and put that money either into their pockets as profit or into customer experience things that actually matter um, you're just like, why isn't everybody doing this? right? right. right? So I really do believe that there's, a, um, that there's a false paradigm that if I can simply disrupt the paradigm, the behavior will be easy. People right. will be like, oh, okay, well, if that's not true anymore, and in our case, that paradigm is the purchase funnel right. and the idea that we have this overemphasis focus on awareness. Um, I didn't debunk the purchase funnel. Harvard did, and mm-hmm. McKinsey did, smarter people than me. I'm just kind of being a disciple of is saying, okay guys, if that's no longer true, then why is this entire industry and all these behaviors still beholden to a false belief? Mm. So
0: when you're looking back on life at the at the end of it all, whenever that is, how do you know if you've yeah achieved or is this a mission that's meant not that won't be achieved
1: and maybe it's the pursuit you know, rather than no, more. I do think I, I, I would hope so. I would hope that I would put myself out mm-hmm. of business, that my job um, somehow I could declare mission accomplished. I remember when we started Cult nearly 10 years ago, some reporter asked, how what what does good look like? And um, I said, I want there to be a 1,000 engagement agencies. So I, it wasn't like I thought Cult has to be the only one. Right. I, wanted, I wanted the world to shift from an advertising agency model to an engagement agency model, which was more of a hybrid of what a business consultancy does which, ironically, I mean, in the past couple of years, consultancies have become ad agencies' biggest threat. Right, they're gobbling up agencies, or they're winning over you know work because they are more data driven. They're more welcomed in the C suite. They're more about solving problems with real solutions, not superficial communications and stories and whatnot. So, um, I, I do th- I think that the the shift is happening. I am um, every year uh, they announce the increase of paid media so last year we breached uh, 200 billion dollars in paid media <laughs> and I always consider that as like a proof point of how much I'm failing like clearly <laughs> the trajectories are going in the wrong direction and uh, every year I see the price tag of Super Bowl commercials that go up and I think oh my gosh I got so much more <laughs> to do uh, so I don't think it's gonna happen anytime soon but that's fine I'm not planning on retiring anytime good, soon good um,
0: so the, the growth League podcast is is all about um, dissecting how companies go from the garage to scale mm-hmm. and uh, you know typically there's never one moment in time where where, where the hockey stick curve uh, occurs but whether it's for whether it' was for watermark or cult or or uh, communal or the gathering can you reflect back on a memorable tipping point where it went from okay all of a sudden now we have processes people service and product that position us for scale um and and what was happening sort of the six months before the six months after that was necessary to the construct of that scale
1: i've uh, so i've read the book the tipping point i'm i'm familiar with the um and i and i'm a disciple of how i built this with guy Raz, mm-hmm. his podcast yep. which kind of interviews entrepreneurs and I think what I've learned is tipping points are um, holy grails yeah. that don't actually exist because the idea that um, you know you're gonna cheat you're gonna land some piece of business you're gonna hire some star salesperson you're gonna win some account or get some piece of PR that now all of a sudden is easy I can think that's that's the, that's the allure. You're yeah. going to get to some point where it stops right. feeling like you're climbing up the hill, and now you're coasting down yeah. the hill. And I and I don't think that's that happens in the same way. You know, I've I've ha- I've I've been a a very I got married in college. I had a child in graduate school. I have been really really poor, and then I've been fairly affluent. And it's always like you kind of spend <laughs> as much money as you make. Right? Like you could always you always feel like, you know what? if I had a little bit more, I could do these extra things. And so I, I feel the same way about business. Like even if something got easier, then you're just gonna make something harder on yourself. Right. Right. Like, okay, this was easy. Now let's go to a different country or let's change our, our our systems or let's upgrade to something else. So I do think it's a perpetual state. So I certainly, and none of the businesses I've been associated with ever felt like we've made it. there be, there could be times where I don't right. feel like, you know, I can't, uh, uh, you know, how am I going to buy groceries next yeah. week? And I'm, I'm, I'm not, you can get to a point of some financial independence. But you know, I was at Home Depot when they were a, a, a big box darling, they were building a store a day. Right. Basically, everybody, they invented the category of right. big box retail. And yet, we would have emergency meetings on a regular <laughs> basis about, you know, how are we going to do this or else right. some horrible thing was going to happen and we were going to disrupt the business or cater the stock price. And so, yeah, I don't really I no longer give much mindset to a tipping point. And I just I, I kind of think about a, a different framework, which I learned from a, a, a guy named Dan Sullivan. You follow yep. any of Dan Sullivan's yep. strategic coach stuff? Uh, but he talks about uh, measuring forwards versus backwards. Right. Leading and, and lagging, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, if you're measuring forward, it's like you're never going to get to the horizon. Right. And so you'll be in a perpetual state of disappointment. <laughs> versus if you measure backwards, you'll be able to track, look how far we've come. Sounds like my wife, a perpetual state of disappointment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that's what I'm trying to discipline myself more to not uh, that way you, you you remain appropriately hungry, but you also cut yourself some slack and say you know what we have achieved a fair number of goals. So there's this
0: obsession of growth, though, right? You talk at any company, everything's yeah. about growth, 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 scale, scale, scale. Uh, to what end, though, right? Because if you've seen if you've seen what both sides of it look like, I, I, I guess what I what I want to dig into is. Growth is important because companies, in my perspective, are are an opportunity, or a platform, or a shell to have people realize their their potential within or fulfill themselves within, and that's why you know um, we've built such a good culture here at Hook and Ladder on that on that topic. But so growth is important. What do you think is absolutely necessary from you know going to a place of it's it's my own sort of individual consultancy to. To, a, to an agency or to a company or, or whatever it is where we can make opportunity available for other people. What are the necessary ingredients?
1: Yeah, I, I, so my my opinions on this have changed of late because both Cult and The Gathering are organically grown. We right. grow it through our retained earnings and through frugality and smart decisions we try to make versus Communo is inve- investor funded. Right. Uh, so we have a huge injection of capital and with that comes, you know, particularly early stage tech startups, you don't just have an expectation of growth, you have to be a unicorn. Right. They, they want a billion dollar or bust kind mm-hmm. of a mindset. So it's weird kind of going to work on different days with, you know, which master am I serving here <laughs> today? I've, as a studier, as a student of cult brands, I've always believed that the best way to ruin a company is to go public. Um, I think once you go public, A, it's usually a liquidating event for the founder who made it awesome. So at some point, they tap out and cash out, and you're handed over to people who are less committed about being awesome and are more committed now about creating shareholder value. And um, I hate the concept of shareholder value. I think Harvard Business Review has written extensively about how shareholder value has been a paradigm that has destroyed probably more companies than it has helped. Unless you just call a spade a spade. If at some point a business exists as a financial vehicle for investors, then say that's what it is and stop pretending like you're going to be culturally relevant or significant. You may luck into it, but that's not why it's there. Versus like the companies that I adore the most, I can think of the Red Bulls or the Patagonias of the world, they're privately held and they're awesome because the founder is has a desire to have a legacy and wants to have something more awesome. So from my own personal perspective, I now think of, I don't believe in perpetual growth. I believe in more like the natural height of a tree. And at some point, a tree stops growing tall right? A tree can do other things. It can gain girth. It can add more branches. It can change colors in the fall. It can have more value. You can put a tree house in it or a tree swing. But if the goal is to just keep putting fertilizer into the ground so mm. that the tree grows to the moon, it's never going to get that way. It will eventually topple. Mm. And I think that's what we need to acknowledge is what is the natural size of this? And then shift your strategy from growth to maybe profitability, right. maybe significance, maybe, uh, maybe something more, you know, there's the B Corps now that right. are about making the world a better place right. and stuff like that. So I just think it's more about having more self-aware about calling a spade a spade and what is it? Right. And if it's in hyper growth, so we do that with Camino all the time. We say, we kind of quote unquote, we're not building a real company right. in the sense that we're, there were, there's a hundred things we would do differently if this thing was going to be a $10 million company. Uh. But if it's going to be a $100 million or a $1 billion-dollar company, there's going to be things that you invest in and things you don't invest in hmm. in an effort to kind of get there. And who's your customer? Right. Is it the customer, the user, or is it the investors that have given you money? Is it the VCs that you hope right. will give you money? And so – I just think that we need to be more transparent about who are we actually serving and why and make sure everybody's clear about that so that you don't get frustrated about why aren't we investing more in this area because that's misaligned with the target of our growth.
0: Right. So then would it make sense based on that to, you know, obviously then you you, want to visualize what the purpose of that company is intended to
1: be and then reverse engineer the growth plan. I think so. And that's hard, right? Because I mean, the world changes. Camino is such a great example. I mean, we're focused on businesses now, whereas the first three years we were focused on agencies. So uh, I don't know that we would have predicted that three years ago. So you do need to have the ability to make some pivots along the way. But you know, Camino always had a macro socioeconomic trend about right. the, uh, the, uh, the rise of the freelancer and con- the contingent workforce. So It was it was unbridled by geographic boundary. It was actually accelerated by COVID. Like the the adoption of remote workers helped Camino instead of hurt Camino. So uh yeah, I think that our our ambitions were different than say something like I really struggle putting a monetary figure Mm. on cult. I'm not trying to be a twenty or a fifty or hundred million dollar agency. Those aren't motivators for me. I aspire that I want to be able to call somebody And they say, "Hey, stop what you're doing." Chris Nealon's on the phone, and that they'll come pick up the phone. So I have a significance metric for cult, not a financial metric for cult. Now, do I need to be forty million dollars in order for the person to to, to, maybe? So financial implications may be a contributor to my goal, but to just put a a financial metric out there, it, 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 a, it doesn't motivate anybody. Mm. Um, My my employees don't care how much money we have. Um, And if you're not a shareholder, why do you care? You're not financially benefiting from that. So uh, I do think size is a bad proxy for success, and success is a bad proxy for significance. Mm. And you got to decide and be clear about what you're really building. So with Communo, the
0: gathering, and cult, going Mm. on that tree analogy, are they all full-grown trees yet, or how much more growing do they need to do? No, no, no.
1: I mean, (laughs) I don't know what the name of saplings, Sapling. but <laughs> what, what, a it? small tree. I mean, um, what's
0: the ga- purpose of those three, and, and how? What percentage? When in your gut, are you at in terms of it being a full tree? So,
1: so the easiest would be the gathering because we want the gathering to become the we want it to trump the Cannes Lion Film Festival. So that has both a number of attendee, a revenue, and a cachet metric that would kind of say, you know, really you know, in, the, in the Hollywood metaphor, we want the gathering to be the Academy Awards. Right. And uh, so... For brand marketing. For brands that are trying to find ways to determine what does good look like. Hmm. Um, so we would love the brands to be able to say, I have a... I was deemed a cult brand of the year by this association, and that means more to me than you know other personal accolades that they may have have achieved and in that sense i think we have a pretty good 20-year plan for the gathering and we're on year eight right so that has implications even what we talked about so you know so so,
0: in year one and two i I mean winning a a, a, an award at the gathering meant almost nothing
1: yeah but now it's There's meaning behind it. Yeah, and you can see it. You can see it now when we send out the nomination letters. You can see it now. I I used to have to spend the first 30 minutes explaining who I was and why we were on the phone. And now it's about my team's been to this or my friend went to this and my friends received this. Uh, I'd like to be a part of this. Um, I had just the most fascinating conversation a couple weeks ago with Traeger Grills. And um, Traeger Grills had just done an activation, a co-branded thing with Yeti, mm. and Yeti was the Gathering People's Choice yeah. Award two or three years ago. But it was like this guy was like saying, you know, th- this is the kind of conversation I've been wanting to have for right. years. Not not so much just about the Gathering, just about. The things that, that you guys represent are the things that I've always believed go into making an amazing brand. Mm-hmm. And nobody talks about right. it. And so the gathering seems to be my tribe. There seems to be a place there that my mm. people congregate. So I do think that we've given ourselves um a a 20-year horizon to kind of say okay how do we be and that has implications on a global you know the gathering's still way too north america frankly it's still probably way too canada um and it's still just this three-day event so all the extensions that can go off of it cult (sighs) cult is also not even at the halfway mark yet um and again I, i i think mostly about um global reach right you know uh, we're 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 doing a project right now with a company in Brazil we had a chance over the summer to go to croatia and i'm like we're just scratching i don't even know these brands right. i don't even know these stories and i don't even know if my philosophy all of our research <laughs> was on North American companies. Now, you know, we could argue Coca-Cola is not an American brand. It's a global brand. But the playbooks that we studied, the people that we've interviewed were always building North American right. responsibilities. So I get very excited to think about how much of this is going to apply. And I need all new examples and case studies because right. they don't know who right. these brands are that I'm referring to. Uh, and then Camino is clearly in its infancy. Yeah. I mean, Camino, uh, what's interesting when you raise money is you'll talk to investors about, you know, we're getting ready to raise a series A and then, but you're already talking about, but we know a series B and a series C is coming, hmm. you know, down the pipeline, yeah. as well as you're entertaining offers from businesses that are much bigger and you start to decide, well, if if, if, if selling, is that selling out? Yeah. Or is that actually a way to amplify the vision? Right. Because I, I believe if you're truly purpose bound, if you're a truly purpose led organization, you would gladly either quit or be sold if somebody who's more capable of achieving that purpose is achieved. I, I think right. about all the, um, there's just way too many nonprofits, way too many small cancer societies or whatever. Right. It's like, well, if you really believe that you exist to eradicate the world from cancer. Wouldn't you come together? Yeah, wouldn't <laughs> you think that, you, that your resources would be better spent with larger organizations that could do Well, I guess some trees more get, get built and grown so that they
0: can be chopped down a house created out. Yeah,
1: yeah. It turned into something else. Now you're taking the metaphor <laughs> too to, much. To too a whole new <laughs> area, so I, I think it's just I, the punchline is I don't I don't believe in growth for growth's sake. Okay, I, I believe in intentional growth for just for a specific to purpose fulfill a to purpose. fulfill a greater purpose. purpose. So, so
0: on the journey from here to the you know the the purpose fulfillment mm-hmm. for each three of those companies, what's the biggest lever that needs to be pulled for? for the gathering, what's the biggest growth lever from a strategic standpoint, uh, and then for
1: Camino, and then for cult? I think the gathering is hindered by our own dreams and ambitions. We need to think bigger. Um, I mean, and it, it, what's so beautiful about the gathering was I, I would never have been able to concoct it. I would have thought, who are we, why us, why now? And I remember mm-hmm. my business partner, who's a much better dreamer, talked about like the Grammys right he's really into music he's like somebody had to invent that right. and now it's the gold standard of what artists aspire to right. but it wasn't you know it was created yeah it was fabricated like, it's no kind of like why um, uh, I, I, I which is ironic that like, I'm an American and I've been told the difference between American and Canadians is uh, Canadians have more of this "Who do you think you are?" mentality, and Americans have more of this why "Who do won't. you want to be?" Yeah. mentality, and, and kind of dare to dream. But in that sense, I think that the gathering is only limited by our imagination and our and our courage right. to make big bets. And that's kind of a, that's why I'm on my mind right now. Is we're having to make some big bets and put our money where our mouth is, and and stretch ourselves in a way into an uncomfortable place that, frankly, we hadn't been in, in the past couple of years. We kind of thought it was copy and paste, and yep. now with COVID we're having to reimagine everything. With um, cults, I think we're too small to do it on our own. I think we need more macro examples of, of, of the alternative, and that's why we have them. I mean, that's why these things go hand in hand. I mean, cults uses the gathering as a don't-take-our-word-for-it just listen to awesome these guys right. are and the things i rant about on social media and the books that we write and the podcasts that we do and all the things that we do try to get the word out there needs to be more because i think there's too much fear there's too many old dogs we need a whole generation of people to retire so that new fresh thinking can get put into the c-suite um and so some of that's just timing yeah. and then with communo it's the, something like I said, a pandemic. We needed something to shock and awe the system. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of got what we asked for. Uh, the data was already suggesting that by 2025, more people will be self-employed than employed, wow. but by a traditional employment arrangement, which is a pretty substantive shift. It hasn't been that way since uh, f- f- farmers were lured into the factories right. at the beginning of the industrial revolution. Right. So, I mean, again, these are things that, that they're the rise and falls of empires about right. based on how people think about work. And hmm. so, um, I think Camino again is more about trying to build a, uh, a surfboard that will ride a tidal wave of an existing yeah. macro trend versus than create destruct. the tidal wave. Oh,
0: okay. That makes sense.
1: Um, how old were you when you graduated university? Um, I graduated undergraduate in 97 as a 22 year old and then I went to, on to a graduate school in, in two thousand. it was an 18 month program so I was 23 okay.
0: and a half all right so like your last sort of days on campus um, if, if, if right now you could teleport yourself back there yeah what and you got like five minutes to talk to Chris at twenty-three, you have two minutes to talk to Chris. At twenty-three, are you are you changing anything? Are you giving any heads up? Are you,
1: you saying, know, "Hey, just
0: keep an eye on this"?
1: I feel like I had a so. I think the innovative idea I had, um, kind of, I felt like college was a mandatory obligation. <laughs> Graduate school was not a foregone conclusion. I was yeah. much of more of the opinion. I'd rather work for two more years and make money than go into debt for another two years and get an MBA. But at the time, I had a professor that talked to me about what they called niche MBAs. Mm. So it's like, do not just go get an MBA for getting an MBA's sake. If you can A, get into the right school. Yeah. So I got lucky enough to get into Northwestern, which at the time went, still is a top 10 program. Yeah. So getting, getting into the right school versus any school matters. And then I do not have a traditional MBA. I did not go to Kellogg. I went to Medill mm-hmm. and my MBA at the time was much more around direct marketing, database marketing, and, and uh, what has become now e-commerce. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. this is in 99, yeah. right? Oh. So I, it was it was very, very applicable for a, another tsunami that was taking over, which was Salesforce automation, database marketing, yeah. and all these things. You know, At the time, prior to my degree, the biggest um, hirers of my program were like catalog marketers, L.L. Bean and mm-hmm. Harry and David and yeah. William Sonoma. And, you know, and then just imagine what's happened. Every one of those direct-to-consumer businesses has become an e-commerce right. business. And so I really feel like I was in the right place at the right time. I also, I got... Wined and dined out of grad school and signing bonuses and moving bonuses and the class two years after me couldn't get a job because the dot com bubble had burst by the end of 2002. So I was in a really good window of time. Now, if if you change the question to say if if I went back to 18 year old Chris that graduated high school, Hmm. I have been you know I have a kid that has um, a learning disability and a mental health challenge and it has opened my mind. To my world, to alternatives to education, period, mm. and the deficiencies of the traditional education process. So, I'm not even of the opinion kids should go to college right. anymore. I, I'm not anti-college, but particularly if you're entrepreneurial, a four-year degree is going to do very little for your entrepreneurial yeah. pursuit. Yeah. Um, so, I think that the I think we need to change as, as a society. The value that we put on these certificates from you know other you're basically punting your due diligence. To yeah. say, I'm going to let Harvard decide who's good, or I'm going to let Northwestern decide who's good, and I'm only going to recruit there. Versus, you take a bet on you know my not only my business partner, but my my head of business development, some of my best strategists. I think I was the only one in this cohort of a, of strategic coach uh, class that I went to that even has a college degree. Yeah. Well, we have 14 people here, and I,
0: I, I assume these people went to university. <laughs> uh, I know Shallon, because we
1: got her out of, the, out of Mount Royal, but uh, after that, I mean... <laughs> you you know, don't know, don't care. It's a meritocracy on talent and ability and aptitude. I went to play football, and they told me I had to go to class. <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I hear you. Yeah. So then would you have not have gone? You know, I probably would have, because I, I think I'm a little bit more square but I think the people that I need to surround myself with are the dreamers and the movers and the shakers, and I could care less if they have a college degree.
0: Right. Now, this isn't all the time, but but a lot of times companies that grow and scale, they have you know, strong leaders at the helm, and those strong leaders oftentimes, again, not always, have very specific and um, helpful routines. Are you a yeah. routine guy? Yeah. And if so... Talk to me. Yeah, about I've that. got
1: like there's a weird wave going through my office right now of people that are paying this COVID. consultant. <laughs> not, <laughs> not COVID. No, this is a although I mean I don't know how healthy it is. But they, <laughs> um, there's this there's this consultant that gets up at five a.m. and yeah, he's all about The five a.m. club. Yeah, the five a.m. club um, and um, it seems like a bit of a weird fad right now. I've been very very lucky. A, I've always been a morning person. And B, I've always been just really self-aware. I think maybe the one thing I did get out of college because I'm lazy is I learned kind of, you know, maximum benefit for minimum input kind of a thing. Yeah, so for, for me in particular, I, I, I'm not self-motivated to do homework. I don't know why I have to work after work. I mean, it's <laughs> a, um, so I learned if I just go to class and I pay attention, yeah. That's my study. I'm all business, right? right? And I'm going to focus on it. But then I don't crack a book when I get home. And I don't have to study or cram for a test much. And I did pretty well. So I learned my own little style. Um, I've always been a morning person. I remember also, this is not not that long ago, um, since moving to Calgary, I remember one day waking up saying, you know, if I was ever the boss, I would redo my schedule uh, because I don't... I'm my most productive in the morning. So spending time showering and commuting is an hour that is wasted. Right. And then it was like, wait a second, you idiot. You are the boss. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just told my staff, you're not going to see me until 9:30, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going to block off on my calendar, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., as I just label it productive time. Right. And um, it's awesome in, in terms of, you know, it allows me to do what I need to do best First thing in the morning, uh, and then I'm my worst at like three to five p.m. Mm. So I tell my assistant, "That's that put me on phone calls, let me do my emails. You know, I can do staff meetings or you know things that don't require my my t- highest brain function." Yeah. Uh, to be able to do it. So I really have appreciated the ability to kind of organize my schedule around my own biorhythms, if yeah. you will, yeah. uh, of how I know I'm going to come out of bed swinging. Yeah. So let's get that stuff taken yeah. care of first. And you're flexible with that. Like, I mean, you'll you'll switch up your routine.
0: I was talking to Eric Varden from Arcane oh, yeah. not too long ago. And He's like, as I was asking the question, he's already shaking his head. He's like, I have no routine. My routine is chaos. <laughs> the
1: fact yeah, no, I'm not that <laughs> way at all. In fact, when COVID first hit, it was the hardest thing for me was my kids, which are teenagers, started staying up really late because what was the purpose of them? They didn't have to get up in the morning right. for anything. So they all became nocturnal. But like, if I wasn't in bed by 1030, I can't mm. get up by six. Right. And so I start going to bed at 1230 or one because the kids are being noisy. And it was a good four or five weeks of feeling disoriented mm. because my, my routine had been severely disrupted. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm worried about that now because we just got back into some semblance of routine. And then we just went back on the lockdown and. No, I'm a bit of a creature of habit that yeah. way. I take notes the same way. I have the same sort of note-keeping system. Um, I, my, my business partner seems to be kind of in a perpetual uh, search for a system that will work for him. Mm. A uh, hack. A hack. And, and you know, and, and I, I don't think that I need somebody else's system. I think I just need to focus on what I need. Because I see some of the things he does about how he prioritizes mm. his day and um i'm like ah I, that's not how i learn well it's amazing
0: too what what you how your routine changes i got an 18 month old. Yeah. Like hold it at home and it's like six o'clock like a lot of days i just leave my phone here my computer here because it's like yeah. you only get this opportunity once right so your big your big focus right now like you were talking about is is helping pull those levers and, and turn the next page for for the gathering um Here's a, a platform, a growing platform. What can what can the listeners
1: do to get involved? Like, can we even sign
0: up for, for the gathering? Yeah. So,
1: th- yep, absolutely. So, um, the big new thing that will be kind of coming out next week is the virtual component right. of it. Um, it's more of a salient experience, isn't it? Isn't it a little bit more? Th- it's not Zoom. That's right. It's not Zoom. It's a, it's a, so. I mean, that was a big part of it. Is so. I think for the first six months most virtual events sucked because the people were not planning on them to be virtual. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, we, our live event has been canceled, right, but right. we can't give everybody's money back. So let's create something. Um, I do think now you're seeing more things and that's what we're really trying to do is, um, you know, I always remember, you know, again, so I graduated in the early, um, 2000s. The first websites were essentially digital brochures or flyers some of them still are some of them still <laughs> are right but it was this, I, this there was an awakening that said why are we still constrained by you know print logistics mm-hmm. when it's not print anymore so you know make the make the things animate make them movies add audio uh, have lim- you know I remember critical mass you know they made the car spin 360 yeah. like that was cool because people yeah. broke out of those paradigms i think that's what we're starting to see now is people to say Okay. This isn't. Let's not create a band-aid. What if, right. Let's actually build the ideal right. virtual experience. Intentional about that being Plan A versus exactly versus a, a lackluster Plan B. And so that. So I think it's one part of the experience, but it's also, like I mentioned, one part trying to say we're trying to provide 12 months worth of value. Right. So if you like to learn and consume these types of stories. It seems weird to say, well, you have to log in at nine a.m. on April fifteenth to yeah, get it. Yeah, it's like, yeah.
0: And these aren't no ones that are creating the content. Like I think last week, the inner sanctum was Lakers. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. Most of our most of our inner sanctums are intimate conversations with past winners. Right. That, you know, and again, you know, when, when you do it in Banff, it's expensive, it's inconvenient, it's it's constrained by a thousand people, so. It's like, I I don't want this to be an elitist thing that if you're Mm -hmm. in the right place, the right time with the right money, you can get in. So by making it virtual, it it is a way to democratize the content. It's a way to enhance our noble mission of helping see, helping expose brand leaders to what good looks like. So I'm actually quite excited about it. And that's an example of where, you know, I think we would have been a little bit slower to this if COVID hadn't happened. So we're using it as an accelerant okay and then
0: quick on uh, Communo, how who's it for how can we how do so Communo
1: is the one thing that has never changed is it's for the creative digital advertising practitioners so you don't go to Communo to get a dog walker or an accountant or mm. an architect uh, but what has changed is it's now not just for people that do those skills For for people who need those skills, we just announced today a big partnership with EA Sports. I mean, EA Sports, hey, it's a cult brand, but it's it's an amazing company that builds some of the most iconic content. Uh, You know, I'm a Madden fan, but there's all sorts of products that go through EA Sports and they've completely reimagined how they're going to market themselves. Mm -hmm. And rather than have big bloated in-house teams, if they need... PR or social media or marketing or keywords or whatever, they're going to go to Camino to get their right. uh, talent uh, hired there. So most, um, there was a big trend prior to COVID about in-house agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I saw it before COVID, 70% of uh, businesses over $100 million had moved to an in-house agency, maybe not exclusively, It right. could be as a compliment to their agency partner. So that was a reckoning we already had to right. deal with. Right. Um, but now a lot of those in-house teams have been decimated. They've mm. been laid off, and so instead of going and rebuilding them when the economy recovers, they're just saying, you know what? Maybe the best option is just pay to drink. You know, pay mm. for the specialists that we need, ad hoc, project based, and um, so we're really excited about. I mean, NASA was a guinea pig. Um, lots of the cannabis companies, Sage Wellness. Right. Uh, and then we've got a, a who's who of brands that we'll be announcing here over the next four weeks that have said, all right, let's just source through right. Communo. So right. I think it's exciting for other brands to follow suit, but it's certainly exciting for practitioners like ourselves to say, I mean, that could be your new business pipeline. Right. And just start farming that thing.
0: Right. Well, and I, I know one of the things that I've done on communo a lot is, you know, we haven't necessarily been looking for business or for, for support on the resource side, but... Uh, we're not we haven't talked about the community
1: element Mm -hmm. of it like I just book meetings with people just to just do this sit down and have a conversation Yeah, man you know I think one of the biggest things for creative professionals when it comes to growth is that they're not very good at business and and, you know that's not intentionally a dig it's just a reality they went to art school or I know that there's some creatives who you know get hives looking into spreadsheet (laughs) like it's just not their thing And yet, they're wildly talented, and so uh, rarely is the issue of success for a creative practitioner their their craft. It's their business acumen and how. So I do. I I find a lot of community support of just asking people about tax strategies Mm. or bookkeeping strategies, or the biggest one is business development. They just don't know how to sell and position and price. Negotiate themselves right. very well. They're going up against professional procurement officers. Right. Right? They're going to lose that battle yeah. every day. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree. We've never wanted to just be a job board. We never right. just wanted to be a place to only give and get work. So uh, that's why we called it Comuno. It's a yeah. commune where people can kind of give and take from each other. So I'm happy to hear that that's cool. something that you're. This is my very my very last question. Um, is there a macro trend
0: that you're curious about right now that you encourage? Uh, you know either young business owners or seasoned business owners to be on the lookout for uh, anything specific come to
1: mind. Well, I mean, th- there is no more macro trend that will blunt- that will knock you uh, sideways than what's happening with remote work. Yeah. So I do think if you're a marketing manager with 20 people in your department, you would be best served to imagine what if you had eight people in your department yeah. and had access to 12 or, or 50 or 100 contingent workers to do disparate things. Um, From a brand, from a cult brand standpoint, I think the 2000, say from 2000 to 2020, there was an interesting marriage between marketing and IT, Mm. and that was partly because there was databases and CRM and Salesforce and e-commerce platforms and point of sale and a lot of that stuff. I think the next 20 years, you're going to see an interesting marriage between marketing and HR. Mm -hmm. and you're going to start thinking about how to build a brand from the inside out there'll be a war for talent people are going to not just pick if you can work and live anywhere imagine what's just happened right like so if i don't have to live in san francisco if i don't have to live in new york i can work in then who am i going to choose to give my time to it's going to be purpose-driven organizations with super innovative employee benefits and super cool projects and uh, hr is not usually very good at making you know merchandising things giving it sizzle making it sound good that's what marketers do really well so i think that they're going to be uh, cre- reaching out and that'll be awesome i think it's going to be a great thing for uh, employer branding and for marketers to realize you know motivating you know we're working with a client right now that has 60,000 frontline employees like they are a bigger manifestation of the brand than a tv commercial or a radio spot or a billboard so Are are we properly indoctrinating them and energizing them and empowering them to deliver awesomeness? Hmm. I think that's the next big frontier for marketing. Awesome. Well, you've made a believer out of me in terms of jumping
0: on this bandwagon of uh, building loyalty and and believability. Um, So I'll continue to help you out on your mission. And I appreciate you, man. I, I love it.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet.
0: The Growth League podcast is brought to you by Hook and Ladder Digital. We are a digital marketing agency that focuses on building and nurturing engaged brand communities, as well as designing, developing, and optimizing lead generation and conversion funnels that leverage advertising, email, landing pages, and content. Our goal is to connect great products and services with the people that want and need them most at the time that makes most sense for them. We want to see business leaders and marketers win and experience next level growth by co-creating a strategy and working together to implement into market and realize the ROI that we're all looking for. So if you have any questions on your digital marketing program, you need support, or you'd just like to have us take a look, please check us out, www.hldigital.ca. Thanks so much.